Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. The Roman soldier kicked down the door, broke it in, and two or three of his comrades came running in, and the mother was like, no, no, and she's covering on top of her child, and she won't let him go, and these Roman soldiers pick her up throw her to the side and she is still hanging on to her son little David and they say all right kill her and kill the child how old's the child the roman soldier says ah uh, looks like it's it's under the age of 2 all right we got to kill it and the mother's like no you cannot kill my child no and she screams and yells and the father is probably trying to fight him off himself if he hasn't been killed already and they grab the child and they grab the mother they raise their sword and they killed the little two-year-old they probably killed the mother too They went three doors down and killed a one-year-old, a three-month-old, a little baby. Mothers and fathers were hiding their kids in desperation under the age of two. Maybe they were trying to make their two-year-old look like a three-year-old, or maybe the Roman soldiers didn't even care and they were just mindlessly killing any boy who looked under the age of five They just didn't care. They had to fulfill their duty. They had to do what the king had commanded. As brutal as it was, when they found a male child under the age of two, they killed it. And I wouldn't be surprised if they had to kill some parents along the way. There's no way I would have let them do it. I would have fought to the death for my child. Roman soldiers killing male children under the age of two? Probably killing parents along the way. How did we get here? This isn't the Christmas story. This isn't part of the nativity, is it? I mean, you don't see that on your average lawn or the average department store nativity scene. But it's an important part of the story. And with it, in Matthew chapter 2, we see the joy and the horror of Christmas all mixed together. What sort of horror am I talking about? Well, in Matthew chapter 2, we meet a man named Herod. Herod the Great. And he ruled over Israel 
for a certain period of time. But the Jews, they hated Herod. They did not like Herod at all. Why didn't they like Herod? Even though he was their king? Well, number one, the Roman government forced Herod upon them. They didn't choose or vote in Herod. Secondly, Herod was not a Jew. He could trace his lineage back to Edom. And Edom was a descendant of Esau. And Esau and his descendants were enemies of the Jewish people because Esau was Jacob's brother and out of Jacob came Israel out of Esau came the Edomites and they've always been at war and fighting each other well to have your king come from that line as a Jew would have been offensive but he, he pretended to religiously be a Jew though he wasn't really he really worked for his masters in Rome and whatever they wanted. This was not a person who the Jews wanted to be their king. He did some great things. He built some great monuments for him. He built some great buildings. But as he reigned, he slowly became insane. First of all, in his life, Herod married 10 different women. That would drive you insane right there. But he married 10 different women. And historically, you know what's interesting? Herod married 10 women, but he murdered his favorite wife. His favorite of the 10. He had her murdered because he thought she was politically trying to do something behind his back. He then had two of his sons strangled because, again, he thought they were trying to take the throne from him. And then he imprisoned the crown prince, the one who was supposed to take the throne from him. Like I said, he's going insane here. So in the middle of all this, near the end of his reign, he tries to commit suicide because he's depressed. He's married 10 women. He's murdered his favorite wife. He's strangled his son. He's imprisoned the crown prince. This would make you depressed. Tries to kill himself, but he fails. So in retribution for failing his own suicide, he has the crown prince killed. And then on top of all that, near the end of his life, he realizes... No one's going to cry when I'm going to die. No one's going to cry at all. No one's going to care. So, this makes logical sense, right? To make sure people were crying and mourning when he died, he had this rule that when he was about to die, they were supposed to round up all the nobles of the area he lived when he died, have them killed so that then for sure he'd have people crying when he died. But they're not crying for him. They're crying for the guy they just lost. But he doesn't care. He's insane. And this is the king that Jesus was born into. This was the king that was reigning when Jesus was born. I mean, this is the horror of the world that Jesus is born into. And then Herod, on top of that, in the middle of all his insanity, is jealous about his throne, is nerves about hanging on to his throne. And then all of a sudden, he hears trumpets blaring, horse hoofs clattering. I mean, into town comes this massive entourage of men 
from the east. It says there in Matthew chapter 2 that all of the city of Jerusalem was an uproar when these men from the east appeared. It says in Jerusalem, he was troubled and the whole town of Jerusalem was troubled with him, it says, when these men from the east showed up. And I don't think it's just three men who quietly show up on camels. No, these were magi who came from another country hundreds and hundreds of miles away. They would have had to come up the Fertile Crescent from where they were, probably near Babylon, Iran, Iraq, maybe northern Iraq area up there. But still, whatever it would happen to be, that whole Persian area, they would have had to come a long way. And this would not have been an easy trip. And the only way to do it would have been to bring a lot of provisions with you and to bring a lot of food and water and stuff. You've got to bring animals and horses and camels and people. And these are magi. Or my version says wise men from the east, which means these men were significant. And when they showed up in Jerusalem, they wouldn't have just quietly come in. No, it would have been with great pomp and circumstance. The Jerusalem Gazette would have had front page news. And it says, all of Jerusalem was troubled. But when Herod heard it in the palace that these men from the east showed up, it says he was deeply troubled. He was troubled, number one, because... A king is about to be born is what he's heard these men are saying. And number two, these are significant men from another country. Are they going to invade us because of this king? And this would have been insanely frightening for Herod. And these men and their entourage of lots of people and probably soldiers with them to protect them as they came, they all come to the palace there in Jerusalem to talk to Herod. I can imagine Herod's on his throne when in walk these men. And again, they're probably on the same level power-wise. Herod's a little more powerful, but Herod's troubled by these men, it says in Matthew. Like I said, these are not insignificant men. In fact, it begs the question, who are these men, right? In your average nativity, it's three men holding three gifts. Because the Bible clearly says Jesus gets three gifts. So if there's three gifts, there has to be three men. No, I think these are powerful men. Who are the wise men? Well, the magi, or the wise men, were a whole sector of government in the Persian Empire. These were men who were advisors to the king like Nebuchadnezzar and Darius the Mede. And one of the most famous, famous at least to us, members of that group of magi was a Jewish prophet named Daniel. These men, the magi, the wise men, they could do amazing magical tricks, supernatural powers, demonically inspired, most of them. And the book of Daniel is full of some of them, right? And you see that they would dabble in the arts of trying to foretell the future. 
They would dabble in the arts of looking at sheep guts or tea leaves. But they were also some of the smartest men of the day. They are wise men. So they studied math and they studied languages. And one thing in particular that they studied was the stars. They tried to foretell the future through astrology. But in the middle of all that astrology, they would also study astronomy and they knew the planets and they, they, the motions of them. And they tried to foretell the future and significance of what they mean. Well, in the middle of this magician, Harry Potter, Hogwarts type of mentality, God drops Jewish prophet hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years before. They drop, he drops Daniel right in the middle of them all. Now, Daniel, he was a prophet who served Yahweh. And I think 400, 500 years before all of this even occurred, hundreds and hundreds of years, Daniel, if you read the book of Daniel, he worked king after king after king after king. He served king after king. But he was a loyal servant of Yahweh, and he saw visions that we can't even begin to understand. He spoke to angels. Daniel was a mighty prophet. And I think being a mighty prophet, he had a mighty, profound influence upon the Magi. Enough that they were busily studying the Old Testament when Jesus was born. Why? Why would these Persian kings who had their own gods that they served, why would they be dabbling into the Old Testament? Well, I think because of Daniel and his influence. Maybe he got some of the Magi to follow Yahweh. And over the years, a Yahweh clan of the Magi developed who kept Daniel's ideas. And they kept looking into the Old Testament. And they kept wondering about the visions. And in particular, they were struck with Numbers twenty four seventeen, where it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. Maybe they were looking for that star. And it seems around this time that a lot of the planets were making motions and moving and aligning in ways that had never been seen before. Astronomers have gone back and looked. And I guess there had been an alignment between Jupiter and Saturn and especially one of the star formations called the Regulus Star or basically the King Star. And the Babylonian Magi, these Persian wise men would have seen this and this constellation of stars and this alignment of planets only occurred once every 900 years. And I think some of the Magi... We're not exactly certain what country they came from. All we know is they came from that Persian area, Iran, Iraq today, maybe up into small parts of Russia or Afghanistan. I'm not exactly certain, but we do know they came from the east. We do know they looked at the stars, and I think they were heavily influenced by the teaching of Daniel, and, and I think some of them were even followers of Yahweh, secretly, maybe outwardly. But when they saw the star, they saw something significant. If it was that alignment of planets that occurs every 900 years, they were like, wow. 
something significant is about to happen. But think about it. They are hundreds of miles away. And it would take months for them to leave where they're at, travel the Fertile Crescent, come down into Damascus, down into northern Israel, come all the way to Jerusalem. And again, they'd have to bring food. They'd have to bring people. They'd have to bring you know, supplies. This would not have been an easy trip, but something so profound happened in the sky. Something so profound that they knew Number one, there was a king coming. And number two, they knew this king was coming out of Israel. And number three, this was so important. And what they saw was so profound that they moved heaven and earth to show up. And I think when Herod realized that a king was about to be born and what these wise men, these magi had gone through to get here and about the stars and how planets are moving, how God is moving. Me personally, I think the star was created by God. I don't think it's tied into any astronomical thing. I think what those magi, what those wise men saw was put there directly by God. Why? I'll tell you here in a second. But either way, they show up and King Herod is scared. And he looks at all these men. Maybe they're bowing down to him saying, hey, we have come from the east. We have come from the east and we have seen a star. And it's led us here to Jerusalem. It's led us here to Israel. And, and we've come to worship the king. We, we, we want to worship this king who was born. You know, who is this king of the Jews? We want to worship him. Now, these magi probably thought Herod's like, hey, great. We have a king who's going to take over someday. Maybe they're excited about his birth. Maybe it's his own son. They show up to the palace thinking this is where the king is going to be born. And Herod's like, um, the, the, the king isn't being born here. Let, let, let me check with my, um, uh, my wise men. Let me check with my, my advisors. And so it says there in Matthew chapter two, that Herod calls all the scribes, all the chief priests, all the religious leaders of the people. And he gathers them to a back room in the palace somewhere. And he says, all right, listen, where is this king going to be born? Where is this Christ supposed to be born? And the priests start looking through the passages and some say, well, I remember this passage out of Jeremiah. And they're like, no, no, I remember this passage out of out of this other passage. And then blah, blah, blah. And they start talking. And then a group of priests step forward and go, listen, we all know the answer. Remember? Our fathers foretold. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. I think some of the priests are like, no, no, no. That's an old view of the prophet Micah. And others are like, no, no, we got to go with this prophet Zechariah. But finally the consensus came. No, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. 
He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And I wonder if somebody piped up, but Bethlehem is so small. There's less than 100 people there. Really? God's going to be born a king there? I wonder if Herod is like, why wouldn't he be born in Jerusalem where everybody would see him, where everybody would notice him? And then one of the chief priests says, it says there in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, look at it. They all turned there. Of course, they didn't have things broken down into chapters and verses, but let's pretend they did. So they turned to Micah 5, verse 2, and it says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, no means least among the rulers of Judah, but from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They look at each other. Yep. The Messiah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's exactly where he's going to be born. You got to send those Persian magi to Bethlehem. So Herod's like, all right. And they, he goes out there and he goes, um, come here, wise men, listen. We have discovered through looking at scripture, through looking at the Torah, that the Messiah, this king, is going to be born in a small town called Bethlehem. You need to go towards Bethlehem. The Magi look at each other and they're thinking, huh, Bethlehem. Where's Bethlehem? Oh, it's south from here, says Herod. He's in Jerusalem at the time. It's south, head south. All right, all right, all right. Okay, good. So Bethlehem. And then the men are about to leave when Herod stops him. Hey, 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 listen, listen. I need you to go find this king because I want to worship him. My chief scribes want to worship him. My chief priests want to worship him. The guards, we all want to worship him. And the Magi look, I agree. Why would we not want to worship this mighty king? All right, when we find him, we will let you know. Yes, all right, great. And then the Magi leaves and Herod turns to his chief advisor and says, When we find out where that king is, where that baby is being born and who it is, you must kill it. And the advisor nods his head. Well, the Magi head out. They're heading towards Bethlehem. This place where the king is about to be born. It's not a big city, but they're going to go from house to house to try to find where this baby is, where this birth occurred, where this king is being born. And did the birth occur way earlier? Did the birth occur just today? How are we supposed to know? And they're probably discussing this amongst themselves as their entourage moves south when all of a sudden they look up and they see it. It's that star again. See, and this is why I believe the whole thing is a miracle. So they see a star in the sky all the way back home in their Persian empire. And then when they show up here in Jerusalem, they see that star again. But that star isn't just any star. That star isn't just massively high. It must be close enough for them to see. It must be close enough, I think, maybe for them to even see it during the day. Because this didn't all occur at night. 
And then finally, this star was close enough that it hovered over the place where Jesus was living. It had to single out a house in the middle of Bethlehem. I mean, this star must have been really close. I wonder if the star was an angel. Or I wonder if the star was some special type of star that could hover above a house. Or maybe it had a beam of light boo, that hit that house. All I know is this star, it must have been a miracle. Because it says there in Matthew chapter 2 that they saw the star again and they rejoiced. And then the star came to rest over a place where the child was. This is too specific to be some big astronomical thing, I think. And the other thing is, Herod didn't see the star. I don't think any of the other people saw the star. The only people who saw the star were the Magi. They follow it. And it comes, I can imagine, at night. Four or five o'clock. You know, it gets dark early once winter hits. Maybe if this occurred in the summer, it was late into the night. I don't know. But I think it occurred at night when they finally got to Bethlehem. And it rested over a specific house. And the Magi look at each other. They say, all right, this is it. We are going to see the Christ, the Messiah, the King. Let's grab our gifts. And so they grab their gifts and they run to the door and they knock, knock, knock on the door. And maybe they expect to see angels and majestic supernatural beings. And they open it and it's just a woman and a man and a baby in a crib. Now, by this time, we do know Jesus is about between the ages of one and two, okay? He's no longer a little, little baby, but he still has to be taken care of. And maybe Joseph and Mary are playing with him that night, just enjoying an evening at home. And this knock on the door occurs. And here are these magi. Joseph and Mary look at them, look at each other. And they go, these men are different. And these men push in and probably... By now, Joseph and Mary have moved from where they were at, where they gave birth. Maybe they were renting their own little home there in Bethlehem, getting ready to move back to Nazareth when all this entourage tries to squeeze into their little house. And then these men, boom, drop down to their knees. And they worship him. Joseph and Mary look at the baby. And they look at each other. And I think if they ever wondered whether Jesus was God, whether they really gave birth to the Son of God, I think this was another affirmation a year, year and a half later that, yes, this is the Son of God. And then the men hold out their gifts. And so Joseph grabs the first one and it's a little box and he shakes it and it's got some coins in it and he opens it and oh, it's gold gold maybe gold coins maybe a bar of gold and wow and joseph's thinking man i needed this i didn't know i was going to start my own carpentry business but now we got some good seed money here and he puts it down then somebody else hands it to him and he opens it up and it's the smell of frankincense 
Then he opens up the third one and mm, it's myrrh used for a beautiful fragrance to maybe make the house smell better or maybe in worship. They would burn incense. But the thing I want you to understand is these gifts, not just the gold, but the frankincense and the myrrh, these were not cheap. These were expensive, precious gifts. I think Joseph and Mary would have wondered, these mighty men, and are they mighty men? I don't know, who are they? And how can they afford all these gifts? They must be men of significance. And look at the entourage that's around them. And he maybe sits them down and Mary tries to feed them the best they can. And they reject it because they know how poor she is. But they begin to tell their story of where they came from. And they came from the east because the star led them there and made them realize that there was a king going to be born. And the baby you're holding is a king. And throughout this passage in Matthew, you just see how they rejoice to see him. They rejoice, they rejoice, they rejoice. They were so happy. So finally they left. Maybe Jesus began to cry a little. He needed to eat. He was tired. He needed to go to bed. He needed to be put back in the crib. But the Magi, I can imagine, didn't want to leave. They wanted to see him one last time. And they're poking over the door when Joseph shuts the door. And Joseph and Mary sit there profoundly thinking, What does this all mean? Reminded once again that he is the Son of God. And the Magi, they begin to find a spot there in Bethlehem and they bed down for the night and they put out their big tent and their royal robes and they start to go to sleep. When all of a sudden, in their dream, an angel shows up. I imagine it's an angel. Maybe it was just God who said, do not go back to Herod. Do not go back to Herod. I think it was an angel because in the home of Joseph and Mary, it says that an angel of the Lord shows up to them. So I wonder if the angel of the Lord showed up in this Persian king's magi's dream and the angel of the Lord shows up to Joseph and Mary and says, you've got to get out of town. You've got to flee to Egypt, and you've got to stay there until I tell you to come back. And I can imagine Joseph wakes up, and he grabs Mary, and he says, I've just been told by the angel of the Lord, we've got to get out of town, because Herod's seeking to kill the child. We've got to get out of town. And that same night, the Magi get the same dream, and they're like, hey, we have got to get out of town, and we've got to get out quickly, and we've got to get out quietly. So both parties start packing up. And it doesn't say how the Magi got back, but and how you get a whole entourage out of town quietly. Maybe they split them all up and they all went on their own. Or maybe they just kept heading south. They never got back up to Jerusalem. Maybe headed south and went in some weird route all the way back. We do know Mary and Joseph and little Jesus, they ran, they fled, they headed south, all the way to Egypt. When Herod, he'd been waiting and waiting, day passed, another day passed, another day passed, 
And then he maybe he sent some messengers down to Bethlehem and he finds the wise men are gone. The Magi have split. Everybody says they headed south. And it says when Herod heard that he had been tricked, he became furious. Remember, this guy's nuts, right? Remember, this guy's not right in the head to begin with. But on top of that, he's paranoid and he is scared. He's about to lose his throne and he is furious. And he thinks, how can I stop this king from being born or 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 maybe it's too late for him to be born but how can i stop him from ascending the throne and one of his advisors comes up to him and says hey i've got an idea we do know this baby might be at least two years old let's kill every male child under the age of two let's go down to bethlehem and kill every male child under the age of two I think this is such an evil plan. I don't even know if it was an assistant who gave it to Herod. I think Herod gave it to himself. Or I wonder if Satan whispered in Herod's ear. Because remember, Satan is desperate to see this Jesus killed. If he can kill Jesus in his infancy, he doesn't even have to worry about him coming to the cross. He doesn't even know that's going to happen. Because remember, Satan can't foresee the future. He's just living in the moment. He's like, well, this male king, I wonder if this is tying to, to, to Jesus and the Holy Son of God. And oh, I think he whispered in Herod's ear, you got to kill that baby. You got to kill that baby. And Herod came up with this evil, evil plan to go down to Bethlehem and to kill all the male children under the age of two. So he sent down his legion of soldiers and they did just that. This is one of the saddest moments, I think, and all of the Bible. Innocent little children being killed by a paranoid, angry, satanically inspired king. Talk about the horror of Christmas. But you know what? In the middle of all that, there is joy. Joy showing on the face of the wise men who'd come all that way and they finally saw the king. Joy to Joseph and Mary that, yes, this is the Son of God. Planets and stars were moved. That's how amazing this king, the Son of God, is. We have the Son of God in our very presence. Joy that he was saved as a little baby, protected from the ravagings of an insane king. How? An angel of the Lord had to show up. I had to tell him to get out of town. Joy that he was saved, this little innocent baby protected. But the greatest joy in the middle of this horrific story is that a Savior was born. Messiah was born. Christ 
right? Means Jesus Christ. Christ isn't his last name. Christ means Lord. Christ means Savior. Christ means Messiah. He's born to save the world. He was born to later die upon Calvary for all of us that we might be saved. And I just want to say one last time in the middle of this nativity story, when you look at that scene of a baby and Joseph and Mary around it and shepherds and kings, I want you to think, do I know this baby Jesus who later grew up and in his 30s died on the cross for my sin and for your sin as our perfect sacrifice, but then defeated death, rose from the dead, proved he was God. Am I going to worship this Jesus God man? Am I going to worship Jesus as God eternal? Because that's what Yahweh says. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus. If you want to come to me, you got to believe my son is God. And you must follow Jesus. Do you live that joy? Do you live that joy? When you see that beautiful nativity scene, do you know Jesus? I pray you know him today. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.